Our scripture this morning is found in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. If you are able, please stand for the reading of the scripture. Let's hear God's word. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. We've got some uh, faces we haven't seen in a little while back with us, so it's, it's great to have you here. We're in a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're, you can probably turn that down just a little bit, Jude. Uh, we're, we're up on the mountain, and Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples about what happens next after you decide to follow Jesus. And as we enter into the end of the prayer, uh, Jesus is going to turn to prayer. I've entered into the end of the sermon. Jesus is going to turn to prayer. And if you remember, it's probably been a month or two now. We, we did some teaching on prayer. We had Jesus give his model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And it's like, before we end this sermon, Jesus wants to tell us one more time how important prayer is going to be, right? Before we land this plane, as my disciples, you're going to have to know how important this is. And I want you to see that Jesus is not at all trying to pitch this as like eating your vegetables, right? I know you, sh you should pray, but it's kind of boring to pray, but you should do it anyway, Sometimes I think we maybe think about prayer this way. What I'm hoping is that we'll arrive at the end of the sermon and you will say, there is so much gracious promise in this teaching. How do we not go to the Father in prayer? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. I'm sorry to bother you. I know you're probably busy, but anyone ever find themselves prefacing their requests with those words? It's sometimes hard to ask people for things, right? We don't want to bother people. We don't want to sound needy. We live in a culture that prizes autonomy and self-sufficiency. Uh, and think about it. If we are this timid to ask others for things, there's a good chance we will be timid to ask God for things. But look at, look at what Jesus instructs his disciples here. Ask, seek, knock. These are bold instructions. Jesus is not saying when you come to God, kind of gingerly tap at the door, and if God is too busy, just be prepared to leave him alone. There's no, I'm sorry to bother you, God. There's no, I'm, I'm, I know you're probably busy, God, but the image that comes to my mind and if you have young children, you might have this image, is, 
Children are very, very comfortable coming and telling you what they need. They have no problem knocking on your door. In fact, oftentimes they will just skip the knocking and just barge right in without knocking. Uh, now, as a parent, after a long day, maybe, maybe you parents are not like this, but there's times when I hear that knock, and, and the thought might come to a parent's mind, I wonder if I have time to get to the closet and hide. <laughs> and Jesus is trying to make it really clear, this is not what my father is like. When you come to my father, rather than being annoyed, uh, rather than being busy, rather than this father being distracted on his phone, this father is completely delighted that you are in his presence. You come to my father's door, and rather than hiding, my father greets you with this, Come in, child, I am so delighted you are here. Can you put up that first slide, Ron? Most of you are probably familiar with this image. Uh, it is an icon called the Trinity, which was created by the Russian painter Andrei Rublev in the 15th century. It's the most famous of all Russian icons. It's probably one of the most famous pieces of Russian art, period. It depicts three angels uh, in the scene in Genesis where uh, they, are visit, they visit Abraham at the Oak of Mamre, Genesis 18. And the, it's called the Trinity because the painting is usually interpreted as being a depiction of the Trinity, this belief that we hold as Christians that God is known to us and revealed to us as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if you look at this image, you see uh, at the table, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoying each other's company. Tyler Staten writes this, Prayer in any form, by anybody, is God's invitation to pull up a chair to the table and enjoy a restful, intimate, unbroken conversation with the triune God. Is that your image of God? Do you have an image of God in your mind that when you pray to that God, that God says to you, child, pull up your chair. I'm so glad you decided to join this conversation. Let's talk. If you and I do not have an image of God like that, who delights uh, when we come into his presence, prayer is going to be hard. I mean, just think about it. We don't typically like hanging out with people who we're pretty sure don't like hanging out with us. Who do we love to be with? We love to be with people who love to be with us. That when we walk into the door, they just light up. There's no faking it. They are genuinely delighted to see us and to welcome us into the presence. I want you to notice there's none of this. I'm so sorry to bother you, God. I'm, I just want to gingerly knock on the door, God. Jesus' instruction is be bold. Knock. Go right in. Second thing I want you to see. We not only have a God who invites us to boldly come into his presence, but a Father who says to us to be bold with our request. In other words, Jesus is giving you and I the green light to go to God with what we need. Now, I think on the surface, I think most of us here will think, of course, like why, why would we not go to God with what we need? But this week, as I'm, as I'm meditating and studying this passage and praying to God, I realize oftentimes, at least in my own prayer life, I am, in fact, not bold going to God and telling God what I need. I think if you and I really believe this teaching, it would be really hard to go through a day and not pray. 
We would miss a lot of things and maybe be okay. But if we leaned into this teaching, it's hard for me to think that we could go a day without praying. So why don't we? What stops us? Let me name a couple barriers that I think stop us from praying. First, I don't think we think our needs are as important as other needs out there. The other day, I was uh, sitting in our kitchen looking at my phone, and Krishana asked what I was looking at, and I said I was reading the news. And she said, is there any good news? So, like, I scroll back up to the top, which would be, in the old days, they call it the front page. I get to the front, front page, and I start going through that. Political fighting over the national budget, updates on the war in Ukraine, an article about why poverty is so intractable in America. Finally, I get far enough, and I say there's uh, apparently... Uh, the Phantom of the Opera, uh, Broadway's longest-running musical, is about to close. And she said, that's good news. Um, now, if you are insulted by that, I encourage you to take it up with her. Um, I don't know. Here's my point. you got to scroll way down to find the good news. And the bad news that you find is really bad news. And understandably, this is very understandable, we start to think, i got problems, but God's got bigger fish to fry. I've been with you all enough to hear uh, this refrain more than once. I'm struggling with something, but somebody else has it so much worse. That may be true, but that's not what God's thinking. God's not running an ER up in heaven where there's one critical case after another and God is at some point so overwhelmed that God says, we're going to have to do triage here. We're going to have to sort out the urgent from the critical, from the emergency. Your need may be urgent, but it hasn't risen to the level of an emergency. So you end up being shoved in the side of the waiting room at the ER and you sit for hours. Anybody know what that's like? I heard somebody before the service telling me a story that sounded a lot like that. ERs have to triage, God doesn't. God's got the space for whatever you want to bring to God. God's got the capacity to handle whatever you want to bring to God. God's got the love to spare for all those needs and yours. So we've got to take God at his word. We've got to take Jesus seriously, that Jesus is giving us the green light to go to God with our desires, with our needs, and to pour those out to God on a regular basis. You put up the next slide. In the book of James, you read this. You do not have because you do not ask. Are we asking God for what we need? If not, do it. But does it work, someone is thinking. Maybe we have no problem telling God our needs. Maybe we're just not sure God does anything with that. If you have felt that, you are in good company. I think it's pretty safe to say that everybody in this room has prayed for something, and nothing has happened. Let me start by saying there's no getting around the fact that prayer is mystery. Uh, there's much that I don't understand about prayer. I don't pretend to understand about prayer. But as I was preparing for the sermon, going through the passages on prayer in the Gospels, I was struck by how often Jesus says, ask. Later on in Matthew's Gospel, he says this, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. In John's Gospel, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I don't pretend to understand how this works. 
But as crazy as it seems, and honestly, when I come to these verses, it seems kind of crazy, the Bible is very clear that we as God's creatures are invited to interact with the creator of the universe in such a way that the universe changes as a result of our prayers. Let me say that again because it's so stunning to even think about this. You and I are invited to interact with God Almighty in such a way that the universe somehow changes as a result of our prayers. And I think the easiest way to stop believing that is to actually just stop praying. Archbishop William Temple puts it this way, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop praying, coincidences stop happening. The more you and I immerse ourselves in a life of prayer, we're going to find that more coincidences happen. If you don't believe that, what I would encourage you to find someone you know who is very serious about prayer and ask them, tell me some specific times. Don't give me general stuff about prayer. Tell me specific times you have prayed for something and something has happened. Does that mean prayer is like magic? We rub the genie lamp and bam, before you know it, the thing we wished for appears. Let's keep looking at that verse in James. Let's put up the next slide. Look what James says next. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Thankfully, God in his wisdom does not give us everything we ask for. Think about it for a second. And all of a sudden, everything you asked for just happened. Do you have enough confidence in your own wisdom in terms of what is good and what is not to do that? Do you have enough confidence in your own discernment between what is good and bad that every time you ask for something in prayer, bam, it happened? Do you think you could bear that burden? I don't think I could. I think I'd be terrified to pray. My kids sometimes come up to me and ask for a yes day. I have no idea. I don't know where they got this. This is, I think, from their cousins. But a yes day, apparently, the yes days didn't exist when I was growing up. But what yes days are is whatever the kid asks, the parent just says yes. Have you guys heard about these days? Or is this? All right. My kids are putting one over my head here. And I try to explain to them, you know, if I did that, it would be a disaster, right? Which never seems to go very far, because like, what could possibly go wrong with a day full of Doritos, ice cream, and video games? <laughs> There's an old joke that goes like this. When the gods wish to punish us, they give us everything we've ever wanted. Go read some articles about people who win the lottery, what happens in their life. Look what happens when people get famous. Look what happens when people seek power through politics. Our God is not a genie. Our God is a wise and loving parent who doesn't give gifts, but good gifts. Look at verse 9 and 10 with me. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? Jesus is imagining a child coming up to their parent and asking for bread. And the parent reaches for something, a stone that looks like bread, and hands it to the child. Can you put up that next slide? So what does that look like? Looks like an amazing piece of cheesecake to me. Right? I love cheesecake. It's not cheesecake. It's a rock, right? Jesus is saying, you know, Matt, like, imagine going up to your mom saying, I want a piece of cheesecake, and your mom just gives you 
a stone that looks like a cheesecake. Jesus is saying, what, what parent would do that? But, but Jesus keeps going. You know, you know what would be even more messed up? Is if a child went asked for fish, maybe goldfish these days, people, kids don't ask for fish much, but a child goes and asks for fish, and instead of being given a fish, the parent pulls out a snake. So just like, uh, this one you have to use your imagination a little bit more, but, but just like a bread can look like stone, it might be that there's certain fish in the Sea of Galilee, like an eel or a catfish that looks like a snake. So rather than giving the child something good to eat, a fish, the child is given something that looks like a fish, but in reality is dangerous. Let's put the next slide up. This is like uh, my uh, son Isaac coming up to me and saying, I want some ice cream. And me opening up a couple boxes of epoxy resin, which look a lot like ice cream, and saying, how about this, Isaac? What kind of parent would do that? <coughs> and Jesus says, you, though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I just want to make sure that all you parents just, called, just got called evil there by Jesus. Uh, like, and I'm like, Jesus, as if it's not like, I'm not insecure enough as a parent uh, in my parenting, I have this, but, I, but if we just focus on that word evil, we're going to miss what happens here, because this is a beautiful point Jesus is making. Jesus is saying, you parents, you often have no idea what you're doing. You are a mess. But even you, you know how to give good gifts to your children, which I think is generally true, right? I mean, there might be some extreme outliers, but most parents do seek to give good gifts to their children, Right? Like, even when we make poor decisions as parents, even when we're selfish, even when we want to hide in closets when our children knock on the door, we don't give snakes to our children who ask for fish. If this is how an earthly parent acts, Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts? Like, listen to these words, how much more? Jesus is making a comparison. He's not trying to make, I don't think, make you feel horrible as a parent. What he's trying to say is even the best parent, the best parent compared to God is no comparison, which I think should be a, an encouragement. Let's say, for example, you, you had a mom and dad who didn't have time for you, who didn't listen to you, who didn't give you attention, who didn't support you, who didn't love you like they should have. Maybe that parent even harmed you. Thank God your heavenly parent is not like Say you had the best parent imaginable, always loved you, always supported you, always listened to you, a paragon of what a parent should be. Even that parent compared to your Heavenly Father is a mess. Right? The thing you should be walking away with is, my Father in Heaven is that good. That's what Jesus is trying to bring home for us. And this is going to be essential for us if we were to have vibrant prayer lives we're going to have to know these three things. We're going to have to know, one, we are welcome in the Father's presence. Our Father delights in our presence. Two, we're going to have to trust that prayer in all its mystery does something, that God is eager to answer our requests. And three, we're going to have to have an image of a heavenly parent who is eager to give good gifts to his children. Before we finish... We're talking about one more barrier to prayer. And it's a big one. It's a tough one. It's one that most all of us surely have faced at some point. What about when I go boldly to God, 
believing in the power of prayer, believing in the goodness of God, asking for a good gift, and I'm met with silence. In his book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, uh, Pastor Tyler Staten uh, tells a story about a woman named Jenna who was uh, sitting across from him one day and says this, either God is not powerful enough or God is not good enough. Either way, it felt like the only choice I was left with was to diminish my view of God. See, Staten says, Jenna was a woman of prayer. Jenna was a woman who believed that God answered our prayers. She expected God to answer our prayers. More than that, she depended on God to answer her prayers because she and her husband were penniless. So one day, food is short. They need groceries. She prays. Not long after, free produce from a local church pantry shows up. She's short on rent. She prays to God one evening, comes back to the apartment, slid under the door as an anonymous check for the exact amount she needed. But because Jenna and her husband had so little money in this apartment, they were constantly having to reheat food, but they didn't have a microwave. Naturally, Jenna prayed. Two days later, she's standing in a parking lot where she volunteered uh, with an organization that cared for houseless addicts and, and those turning to prostitution for survival. When about midnight, a guy pulls up, opens up his trunk, pulls out this box and says, any of you happen to need a microwave? The more one prays, the more coincidence happens. But see, Jenna's prayers were creating a challenge because in all these ways the prayers were being answered, there was one prayer that was not being answered because Jenna for years had been praying to have a child. And she said this, God, I've asked you for, I asked you for a microwave once and you gave it to me. I've asked you for a baby every day for years and all I get is silence. Why are you in touch with the trivial needs of my life and so distant from my deepest desire? Haven't we all asked some kind of question like that at least once? God, why are you so present in so many ways and it comes to the one thing I want most? Silence. Can you give me a microwave? Why can't you give me a child? If you can give me a microwave, why can't you make this excruciating pain that I'm experiencing in my body go away? You can give me a microwave, why don't you provide a companion for my loneliness? Why is it that when I come to you in faith, asking for a good gift from a father I know is good, I get nothing but silence? Some of you are asking this question now. Why does a good and wise and powerful God who instructs us to come to him boldly at times seem silent? I don't know. I don't have the answer. Do you know this? I know we're in a season of Lent in which you and I step onto a path where we take 40 days to walk behind a man who professes our Lord on a path that leads to a cross. And I know that nobody who has walked this earth has ever prayed with more expectancy or more trust or more intimacy than Jesus did to his Father as he walked the earth. And on the night as he walks that path, when he gets to the night before the crucifixion, he cries out to God, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Everything is possible for you. 
There is not one thing that you can't do. Take this cup from me. Take this suffering that's coming from me. Do this one thing for me. I have been faithful to you. Do this one thing. And the answer here is back is no. The next day, Jesus is hung on a cross. And from that cross, we hear a wild and haunting cry that goes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know the silence you're experiencing right now, but I know you're not alone. I know you have a community of followers of Jesus who are with you, and even more importantly, you have a brother who gets you. Jesus gets you. He's been there in the silence. He knows exactly how it feels right there, right now, and he is the only one that can comfort you. You got that, but you got something else. Because that path we're on, it goes to Gethsemane, and then it goes to a cross, but it doesn't end there, does it? It goes through death and ends up at resurrection. In the silence and the agony the son felt, he held fast to the father because he knew the father was good, because he knew the father was faithful, because he knew the father would not abandon him to the grave. Lent reminds us that we heed the call to follow a Jesus who walks to a cross. We step onto a path where suffering is promised to us, where sorrow and grief will come, where there will be no's and there will be silence and there will be a surprise ending. Because our God loves surprise endings, doesn't he? Because our God turns crucifixions into resurrections. Because our God turns graves into gardens, death into life. That is your God. Go boldly to that God. There's a seat at the table waiting for you. Tell that God what you need. That God wants to give you good things. Know that your Father is a good Father.